So James, uh, it was an interesting uh, conversation today we had with David and crew. Uh, you know, the QSR market is is really, really taking off. I think as as David noted, it especially took off during COVID. And, um, you know, he had some interesting predictions for, for how the industry is going to go forward and yeah. how, how they're addressing that. Yeah, you know, I, I was really pleased with the conversation. I felt it was a lot broader than I kind of thought mm-hmm. it was going to be. I think we really ended up talking a lot more really just about consumer buying trends in general as it relates to point of sale mm-hmm. and just purchases in general and how that's going to shift over time. And so um, I think we, I think I was very, very interesting. And then um, I talk about financial literacy today, which sounds really boring, but it's actually the key to growth. And it's probably, I would say for most of our listeners right now, um, the topic of financial literacy and use of capital, access to capital, um, knowing how to use capital correctly is probably the number one thing holding you back from growing your payments business right now. Uh, whether you're individual agent all the way up to huge ISO. And then tell us about the insiders today, Patty. Yeah, we have a we have uh, Visa's announced a rule change with chargebacks, which I think is really going to, um, oh. they think, and I, I think they're right, is going to start curbing this so-called friendly, or as I like to call it, unfriendly fraud. Um, a new rule will go into effect in um, in April and hopefully combat this rise in, in, um, char- in these frauds, which particularly takes place in the um, online environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so our episode today is brought to you by NMI. Um, we, uh, we would like you, if you could, to go to NMI.com. That's NancyMaryIndigo.com. Uh, check out what they have, and uh, we'll be talking more about them in a minute. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with David and crew from Master Your Rush. It's a quick serve point of sale solution. And we're talking today about quick serve restaurants, quick serve uh, businesses that have this rush of business coming in. How do they make money and also kind of what the future of it is. And so before we dive into all that, though, David, let's start with you. I'd love to get your backstory a little bit. How did you get into this crazy industry? Um, what is this? Where does this passion come from for helping uh, these quick serve restaurants? Um Good, great question. Uh, so I used to have a digital agency, and um, lo and behold, like I used to I had this reputation of building things that people normally wouldn't want to build because I would just jump in two feet into it. I didn't know much about it, but uh, in terms of like development, but I was very creative in that sense. And so uh, I had Anthony Benda, who was the number one barista in Canada, call me. He started the first third wave coffee shop in Canada, and he said, "Listen, I heard that you make apps." He was like, "I need a point of sale," and I'm like. Amazing. Great. Go get one. I'm like, go get Lightspeed Retail, go get Shopify, go get Square. And his words to me, uh, being polite, were like, they're inadequate. And I said, okay, fantastic. They're inadequate. So why is that? He goes, because none of them solve my problem. I'm like, okay, so what's your problem? He goes, well, I make 90% of my sales in a two-hour window. So he goes, I need something that is going to move the lineup faster than anything out there. So I said, okay, cool. I knew nothing of the POS. So I said, well, then I still don't understand. What is it you want? He goes, well, look at what McDonald's has. He goes, look at what Starbucks has. I go, yeah, but those are custom systems. He goes, exactly. He goes, I need that power, but for my price point. So I said, oh, interesting. So so what we did is we ended up building a system that worked for his needs. So the idea was, okay, I'm serving 100 coffees in two hours. Now, what I want to do is I want to augment that to 200 coffees in two hours. Okay, well, what do we have to build in order to do that? So we started to set off on this path. And then once we build that, 
all these other coffee shops started calling us. They're like, hey, hey we want this POS. And I'm like, I, it's not a POS. It's just an app for, for one guy. Like, we don't care. We want it too. Okay, great. So give me some money. And, then give me, and they're like, we want this feature and this feature. So over a period of about 10 years, we ended up building this tech stack, not even a point of sale, just this block of code that ended up becoming this thing that all coffee shops are using across Canada, right? So it went from Montreal to Toronto to Vancouver. Everyone was using it. And eventually, and this is again, 13 years ago, eventually this new concept started to arrive because all these people that were like, hey, wait a minute, these coffee shops are making money. Well, I, I make tacos really quickly or I make salads really quickly. Or I make burgers really quickly. I could do the same thing. I don't need to I, like, forget the fast food chains, right? So I want to do that. Yeah. And so eventually that became quick service, which is now quick service restaurants. But so we, we naturally gravitated with our tech stack which is the, the dream of any software as a software as a service company is, is to not build something and then put it on the market and then sell it and then try to fix the bugs and then sell more. It was like, it was just naturally this tech stack that grew into something. And we ended up creating the company only five years ago and only fundamentally on the market three years ago. And because we organically grew into something that was an industry forming our technology was forming for the needs of that group so we we ended up standing apart and if i were to use an analogy if i may you know it's like you take a range rover right and you take a bmw 7 series they're both equally amazing cars and they're the same price point but you're only going to take one off-road and you're going to take one really in the sedan through right. the city cult uh, comfort right and so that's what we ended up building is that our tech stack ended up fitting into a need that was not defined 13 years ago, but now has become, you know, the, the fastest growing segment in the world right. in the restaurant industry. Right. Right. So, so right. that's what we ended up doing. So before I get to my next question, I want to follow up here for one second. So, so at a really, really high level, and again, this is for me too. I don't, I don't even know the answers, <laughs> right? So at a really high level, what is this difference? What What is it with your tech stack that is allowing, I know we're going to dive into a lot of details, but at a high level, like sure. how are you allowing them to kind of quote unquote master their rush versus uh, square POS or light speed oh, or whatever? Sure. Okay. So, so let, let, let's put it into context. So, so number one, so because I, I didn't know what a POS was, but like, let, let's look at, let's look at, let's, I guess, let's look at McDonald's. Okay. So McDonald's, right. Yes. About 13 years ago, back then, if you walked into a McDonald's, you would see an electronic cash register. And had a bunch of colored buttons. Yes. And then they decided to go into point of sale. And back then, there were full service restaurant point of sale. So Maitre D, um, you know, there was the squirrel systems, the, the uh, uh, sorry, crew, maybe you'll, you'll help me out here. But there was a bunch of systems yeah. out there. So squirrel, uh, silverware, et cetera. And if you look at a point of sale for a full service restaurant, like if you sit in a restaurant, like yeah. at a Houston's or a Texas Grill, you look at the interface and you go, that looks complicated. Like that look, that doesn't look simple. Like, you know, they're, they're trained on this. And so when, when McDonald's decided to go from electronic cash register to a point of sale, they didn't take that technology. What they, they said, this doesn't work for us. So they ended up building something custom and intuitive. So what, what is quick service, right? It's, if you think about it, if you build a restaurant, like you build, I don't know, the Capitol Grill, Right. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about opening another Capitol Grill in, in the middle of nowhere. You're thinking about, OK, big city metropolis area. Right. I'm going to have 
you know, uh, not warm bodies. I'm going to have people I could train industry professionals, but when you're building like a salad bar, you you're, or, you know, you're building a, a smoothie bar, you're thinking about opening up anywhere and everywhere. Right. So if you made a lot, right. open up in the middle of a strip mall, you're going to have people that are not trained professionals. You need a system. So our system you need system that is intuitive, something that they don't need to be trained on for three days. Something has less touch points, something that doesn't rely heavily on hardware. So not major investment into the technology itself to run the place, right? Something that doesn't have servers, something that can work offline, something that if something breaks, you can, you know, come up, spin it up and, and go. So all of these little things come into play. So when we designed the system originally, we weren't looking at point of sale. Like when, when I was asked to design the point, like the POS, um, they're like, I need to be able to add something to a cart and check out. I'm like, fantastic. Let's just mimic uh, Amazon or eBay. And if you look at Amazon and eBay today, the interface, it looks like it's something from the beginning of the era of, of, of the internet. Yet everybody knows how to check out on Amazon and eBay. Everybody knows intuitively because it's been around for so long. So why would we want to reinvent the wheel? around the way that someone would naturally use an interface, right? So that was the basis of what we ended up building. We're like, look, let's not make a point of sale be a point of sale like everybody knows what a point of sale is. Let's use the concept of a point of sale, which is record my sales and then give me information up there somewhere later. But if I'm using it, I need to just be able to just jump on it and use it right? Like riding a bike. So okay. that's, that's what made us very different. And that's something that, that made us stand out from the crowd because we decided to work around this workflow. And again, not to negate on anybody else, but it's because all the full service restaurant tech stacks out there, there was no QSR back then. There was no idea of this. It was fast food chains and full service restaurants. And right. so we ended up building something that just grew organically with this need of, you know, intuitive yeah. checkout process, I guess. I like it. So it, it sounds like, it sounds like probably one of the biggest things you're, you're saying, if I understand it correctly, is that as you're building out a quick serve uh, environment, the people that you're hiring need to get up to speed very quickly and they need yep. to be able to do checkout really quickly. So the, the user interface and, and kind of the design of the process has to be something that's intuitive and fast. So there's exactly. not as many buttons to click. It's very quick. It's very seamless. There's these kind of defined processes and paths versus, versus like a, a fine dining envir- environment where there's going to be so many variables and there's table seating and all these other things that kind of made the, the tech stack a little bit more bloated than maybe was necessary. hundred percent. Like, I, I, sorry to interject, like yeah. just to give you like a simple example, but like, you know, People ask us all the time, they go, well, you know, can we have colors on the buttons? Can we have pictures on the buttons for items? And we said, no. And they said, what do you mean? No. And we go, if you were to put pictures, like, let's say you're a coffee shop. Okay. You have a latte, macchiato, uh, whatever, 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 you know, all that stuff. And you have a picture. The time it takes the brain to look at a picture and and the name of something versus muscle memory as to where that button is. Right. It, it, it's, a, it's a world of difference. And people say, well, what kind of difference is that? Even three seconds, mm-hmm. three seconds times 300 potential orders. That's a lot of money that you might be letting right. go because your lineup is not moving as fast enough. And then people just leave and they walk away. So mm-hmm. sure. th- these little details that people take for granted makes all the difference in the world. So 
we, we, that, we so we were had the like I was saying before we had the luxury of designing a product that only had to think about how do I go from 200 orders in two hours to 300 orders an hour how do I do that right. and not think about well I just want to have a point of sale that will right. take orders in a coffee shop right, right? so sure. that, that was what cool. we did Okay. All right. So now that I got the context, so, <laughs> you know, as the founder and CEO of the company, you know, you have this vision of it, you know, you built this thing up. When you look back, let's say even, I don't know, three years ago versus today, um, what do you see as these major um, differences, uh, improvements in the, in the customer experience with QSR? And what are these kind of trends that are, that are driving this forward? Well, okay. So let, let's talk pre-pandemic. Let's talk pre-COVID. Yeah, sure. um, so, well, number three things that were changing around the worldwide be, before pandemic. Pan, pandemic accelerated everything, all of that, right? <laughs> yes. But fundamentally, look, uh, real estate prices are going up around the world. Food costs are going up around the world, and wage costs are going up around the world, right? Globally, I mean, this is yes. this is a this is a no brainer. This is what's right. happening. Right. So, it's only inherently obvious that the only way that a restaurant's going to survive. And again, if you look at full service restaurants, right? You know, we all have them. We all have our favorite ones in a city, et cetera. But there's one, there's not, they don't think about opening five of them. They don't think about opening scaling. They're like, we're going to make this place a staple and we hope we survive, right? Like in Montreal, Canada, we have this restaurant that used to be called Buena Note. It was open 25 years and it closed before pandemic and it just shut down, bankrupt. Why? Wage costs, real estate costs, food costs just didn't survive. And it was a staple, right? Yeah. Crew will attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, right? and, and, and it shut down. So what's happened is if you look at those trends, what is inherently going to survive? It's going to be the idea of quick service, right? People are busier than ever. People are now, I mean, our, our life cycle is just getting faster and faster. Everything is quicker, right? I mean, even you see an ad on YouTube for, for 10 seconds and you get upset. Right? So, I mean, like everything's getting faster. People have less time. They're working more. They're always on the rush. So the QSR segment is not only a trend, it's becoming an actual change in society, right? So what's going to happen is you need to build the tools as a point of sale. You need to build the technology for a point of sale that's going to allow a point of sale to not necessarily in real time understand what's happening, but to understand at a very incredible quick pace as to when they're doing good and when they're doing bad, right? A simple example, a simple example. If you knew that on a Wednesday, you can stop, you could shut down your quick service restaurant at 7 p.m. instead of 9 p.m., I mean, that's two hours of wage across all of your staff, right? Based on your sale trends. This is the type of stuff that you, we need to see in terms of the customer experience, because what you don't want also is to have, or for example, cut your staff because you think you're slow. And then you have this wave of people that come in and then it's a bad service, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, there's only one person on staff. The food's coming out. It's not very good. Reviews go bad. You want a system that'll allow you to at least understand in real time how your QSR, your quick service, is working during your peak rushes 
and then your flat lines, right? Like how are you performing? And so this is exactly what the customer service experience needs. You know, a simple example, you know, you're good, you're good during a rush, fantastic. But then all of a sudden you have all this inventory. You're, I don't know, you're a, you're a kebab place, you're, you're a chicken shawarma place. You have all this extra uh, inventory. Well, at three o'clock, well, why not have a special between four and six when people are leaving work that all of a sudden it's 50% off and you can move that inventory and have less waste, whatever it is. How are you going to build your quick service restaurant to adhere to the foot traffic, digital traffic, delivery traffic, whatever traffic you're dealing with throughout the day, this is how you're going to make your customers feel like you actually care about them, right? And the different customers throughout the day, right? Right, so, right. So yeah, it, these are all things that you have to think about. And you can only think about it if you have, again, it's not to you know, pat ourselves on the back, but if you have a point of sale or a ground zero system that'll collect this information and be able to at least output it into a, a report or some insight that you'll understand. Does that make okay. any sense? I mean, that. Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Let me um let me pose a question to Crew, if you don't mind, Crew. Please yeah. do. You know, with all the new technology out there, you know, for the for the QSR as well as for the consumer, um, how have expectations changed? Um, you know, for the consumer. And, yeah, well, and and what are you all doing to address these new expectations? So, yeah, like David was saying, right? Like everybody wants their stuff and they want it now. You know, Amazon's got same day delivery. Right, uh, right. So, yeah. So what we do is we make it possible for, for that to happen. So we can produce, you know, our merchants, they do their orders 30% quicker than, than other point of sale systems. And in addition to that, we're convenient. So we are where the consumer is, whether that's online, whether that's an app on their phone, whether that's using one of the delivery applications. So we're in all these places at once and we connect the merchant to the consumers that way. Uh, and we also have a rewards program as well that I think works really, really well, very intuitive. And because people, you know, it's nice to get a free cup of coffee every now and again. It's nice to get $5 off your order after you've been going to this place for a month. So those are the things that I think we do really well to help uh, our merchants connect with the consumer. So is this, so So basically, make, just to make sure I understand, so this <laughs> app works at the location, but it also supports sort of like the omni-channel, mobile, yeah. online delivery, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So we have, uh, we use our, our online app, our online ordering works as a progressive web app. It can actually be downloaded onto an iPhone or an Android and mm -hmm. it mimics like an online ordering app. So, you know, merchants, they get a branded app that goes on their, their customers' cell phones. And, and like I said before, right, it's all about convenience. You know, when you go into these places, you're not there for a long time. You're there to complete a task. You're there to mm -hmm. get your coffee and get done with your walk. There. You're there yeah. to pick up your pizza and get back to your family. You're not there for like a nice family dinner like you would be at a full service restaurant. So it's all about speed and convenience. And, and I think that was the two things that we execute on very well. Yeah, you, know, you know what's funny about this? Like just thinking about like my own experience with QuickServe, you know, it's funny how my expectations have changed in the last, you know, 24 months where it's like now for me to go to a quick serve restaurant where I actually have to make an order at the little thing, you know, instead of like on my phone and I just go pick it up. <laughs> it's like, I thought this was quick. Like, are you kidding me? I have to yeah. wait in line to order this thing. Like, what do you mean? Like what's, where's the that's, QR code? Like what's exactly, happening? Exactly. You know, James, I had this experience over the weekend. I uh, discovered I, and I, 
I, crew and David, I live way out in the middle of nowhere on top of a mountain in, Mar- in Western Maryland. But lo and behold, I, I got an email from Uber saying, you know, use this coupon for Uber Eats. Yeah, I was astounded. I placed an order <laughs> with Uber well, they're, they're Eats. Everywhere. They're everywhere. <laughs> and they were here in 35 minutes. Oh, I'm yeah. 20 minutes from town. You're right. you know? It was right. like, yeah. wow, that was I mean, I was I was sold right then. Uh, I, was like, I, and I, I, th- I, I think they slingshotted the food. I don't even think they put it in the car. <laughs> I know. Right. Right. That this girl, I watched the yeah. car coming away, you know, got to watch the car coming up and she yeah. drove up and handed it to me. I was just like, wow, that is quick. <laughs> That's, you, know, you know, it really is amazing. I mean, when you, you know, I feel like the, I remember Patty, you know, of course I'm, I'm in uh, rural Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm a little more populated area than you are, but right. um, you know, when, when we became in range of, you know, Walmart, uh, grocery delivery. That was I'm the last time I went to a grocery yet. store. That was a couple <laughs> right. of years ago. You know, so I think, I think what's interesting guys is, you know, it's definitely, I see this trend happening. It's like, you know, it's, it's progressing. And to your point, the quick serve restaurants are going to have to adapt if they want to survive. Um, so let's, let's zoom out a little bit crew. Let's keep talking, but I want to talk about some of the boring stuff for a minute. So sure. it's really cool to talk about all the the sexy things and, Oh, there's this ordering thing and that speeding. What are the, what are the core things though? Like when you think about a quick serve restaurant and this providing the consumer experience through technology, what in your mind are kind of these core building blocks that these quick serve restaurants have to get right um, if they want to survive and do well, or, or what do you have to provide? I guess might be the better question. Yeah. So I think what makes us a, a great point of sale system is that like we're simple to use. Right. So there's no need for additional add-ons or anything like that. Like all of everything is is baked into our solution, but we are still modular. So we can take one master or one register, for example, and shoot the information to two kitchen displays, or we can take two registers and send it to one kitchen display. Whatever the workflow is of that particular merchant, we can adapt to it. And and like uh, David was saying as well, right? It's it's very very easy to use. You know, I gave it to my mom after I made a menu. I asked her to build me a pizza, and she could do it with no training whatsoever. So these are just, again, these are just very, very easy, you know, teenager proof uh, devices. Um, and honestly, it just helps merchants run their business. Well, just like David was saying, we have all sorts of insights, all sorts of reports that are available to the merchants. So they know what's selling, when, seasonality, hourly, um, you know, all that information is there for them. So if they decide, hey, you know what, I want to increase my price of a coffee by five cents, 10 cents, what is that going to look like? So I can, you know, if I need a little bit more money, maybe I increase 10 cents and all of a sudden I'm making, you know, X amount of more money because I know that's my number one item and 10 cents isn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, like I said before too, if they want to grow their business as well, or if they want more, I guess, um, more robust features than what we have to offer, we do have those integrations available. We have WISC, we have the delivery apps, uh, we have the seven shifts that are all, again, direct integrations into yeah. our solution. Yeah, I like that. I, I think the thing I like best about your answer, though, was your amazing test that you have, which is, can my mom do it without any training? I'm going to start using that. I think that's great. That's right. right? If, 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 I may, if I may add on to that one other thing, yeah. right? So so with QSR, one of, one of the biggest things with QSR, of course, like quick service restaurants, and uh, is obviously the delivery platforms, right? So I mean, yes. Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, um, uh, Skip the Dishes in Canada, and Ritual. Um we're the only point of sale in North America that has direct integrations with all of these platforms, which means that you don't, you create your menu in our system and it pushes it to all the platforms immediately. And when the orders are made on those platforms, they come directly into the point of sale, which means no human error, no human re-entering, none of that. 
we're the only ones that are direct. What I mean by direct is that there is other than other than the enterprise systems, you know, Burger King and Wendy's and uh, McDonald's, which are, like I said earlier, best spoke systems. We're the only ones that are direct, which means no third party, no, no checkmate, no Chowley, no Deliverac, no third party software that you have to pay in order to make that integration. Mm-hmm. You pay us and it's done. So if there's a problem, you're not calling one of three numbers, right? Is it Uber Eats or is it my Deliverac or is it my POS? It's either one or the other. And which means that we know directly what the problem is and we can at least let our clients know that it's not us, it's Uber Eats. But, but the point is, is that, but that's what QSR is because like I, I, we put this context all, all the time. You're a quick service, you're a full service restaurant. Something is wrong with your point of sale. Okay, it's not working. You don't even call support. You don't care. You use a calculator and a piece of paper at the end of the night. You collect your bills. When you're a quick service restaurant during a lunch rush and your system goes down for 90 minutes out of your two-hour, like two-hour rush, and you're on hold for support, you, you like it's yeah. no, you're done. You just lost right? a fortune. Right. That's exactly right. right. We don't right. have that problem because we we deal with vertically integrated technology. We deal with what is going to control the order process. Right. I see what you mean. So you got to get, that's, and I, I like that actually, it's a good point. And, and we, we don't know each other that well, but I have software companies as well. And like one of the things that's interesting is when you build really simple tech, you have a, it's a lot less likely it's going to break and it's a lot easier to fix it when it does. That's exactly right. You, yeah. have, you, you just nailed it right on the head. If you build it simple, stupid, it's, yep. At least if it breaks, you're going to know where the hell it broke. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I love it. Okay, so so last question here for you, David. Um, you know, I want to ask you, this is a, a hypothetical, and obviously no one knows what the future holds, but <laughs> when you when you look into your crystal ball, right, uh, and you look out three, five years from now, you know, where are you seeing the customer experience go? And just, just broadly in terms of just getting food quickly um, and specifically – you know, where, where I'm seeing these trends is, is the phone, you know, it's like how much a food order delivery, the, how much of the consumer experience is on the phone versus even on a quote unquote point of sale hardware or whatever. So I'm just kind of curious, what, what are you seeing? Uh, you know, it's like, you know what, James, it's a great question because I've been thinking about that a long time and I was, and you know, I've not sleepless nights, but like, like how the hell are we going to build this? But, but I, oh, I get it. It's so what's going to happen is this, is how I see it. And someone's going to have to figure this out. Maybe it won't be us. Maybe it will be someone else. Who knows? But it's all going to be on the phone. Yep. But it's not just going to be on the phone. It's going to be worse than that. So you be like, I'm in the car with my family. And, and, you know, my wife is like, hey, I want Greek food. And I'm like, no, but I want a burger. And the kids are like, but I want spaghetti. And I want, you know, uh, fried chicken. And I'm going to have to take out a phone. And, and go to a virtual food court and I'm going to have to order all of that. And it's all going to have to come to me at the same time, just like it would at a full service restaurant. See, if I'm sitting at a full service restaurant, I order the salmon and you order the steak and someone orders the salad. It all comes out at the same time because there's still a human interaction. The sous chef or the chef calls it out when they need to build it. So that it comes out on the pass at the same time at the table. That's what's going to happen in QSR. People do not want just ghost kitchens because if you go on Uber Eats right now and you're like, I'm going to order the Greek. Fantastic. That's one order. You paid for delivery and I have to place another mm-hmm. order. Okay. Now I'm going to order the burger. 
That's not what I want. I want all of it. At the, I want a full service <laughs> restaurant experience at home, but I want it from everywhere else. So gimme, gimme never gets, but that's what the reality is going to be. So the real question is going to be, so like we have, for example, a food court in, in Montreal, Quebec, um, where we have all, all of the uh, counters, but they asked us that one day, they're like, can you like connect all this in one app and people can just order whatever they want. And I'm like, so you want us to be able to send the ramen or the ramen noodles order at the same time as the tacos? We're like, I'm sorry, we're not there yet, but that's where it's going. That's the future. It's like, I want all of this food and I want it to be relayed in real time to kitchen displays or whatever it may be. And then somehow miraculously picked up all at the same, you know, and then brought to me. So it's all warm and cuddly. That's where, but it sounds impossible, but that is where it's going to go because yeah. I don't think it's impossible. I, th- I could see it going that way. I mean, just, Oh yeah. Because, from what because, you talk you know, about the technology as it stands now, it's not that much of a stretch. It just takes a little bit more. Yeah, getting it there at the same time will be the fun part, you know, be the fun. As, as, as everybody yeah. clogged. It's either, either your driveway is going to get clogged up or you're going to have to have like uh, air control for the drones that are flying drones. in. Exactly. That's, well, that's it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You know, exactly. Because the idea is like, eventually like the, the idea of the ghost kitchen was like, well, I could just order yeah. whatever I want from the city. But, but if you have a ghost kitchen that works in unison, yeah. like a food court that just right. doesn't have a front facing area yeah technically you could make it work yeah i yeah. think that's one driver where, that's where it's gonna go yeah right well that's you gotta the key. keep it to one driver you're yeah, right. you gotta, yeah so yeah like the DoorDash, yeah doordash drive is gonna just swing around and pick them all up and <laughs> yeah, exactly your exactly yeah, I, like, so, yeah. I love it so ideally it's actually a food court okay where the DoorDash guy is just going from stall to stall to stall and then jumping on his moped and taking off. Exactly. That's exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Although, although I think all I think all four of us probably would agree that by the time that that arrives, I doubt that it, there will be a driver involved. Exactly. It'll just be like, it'll just, it'll just be these two hand, robotic hands. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, guys, this has been interesting. And, and I know that uh, a lot of people in our audience might want to, you know, reach out to learn more. Can you just quickly um, speak to how um, you partner with ISOs and agents and maybe also tell our audience, you know, folks out in the audience where they can go to learn more? For sure. So I'm definitely the best person to reach out to. I can be reached at uh, partnerships at myr.io, or you can go to our website, myr.io and and click on the like, let's connect and, and somebody will be in touch with you. Um, you know, we're an extra, we're an extremely uh, partner centric organization. So, you know, with the online ordering and card present stuff, we support dual pricing in both of those environments, uh, which I know is very, very important to, uh, to the agents. We have our own agent program as well, uh, at, you know, where they can actually qualify for free hardware for the merchant. And we also work with full service ISOs as well, you know, that you know, we help them close deals. So, you know, they'll bring us a QSR opportunity. We'll do the presentation. We'll help them close that deal. And then they'll get the, they'll get the mids or two mids or, or, you know, in some cases, even multiple, you know, a multi-location um, opportunity. And mm-hmm. so they're getting 10, 15 mids. So, you know, put us in coach. We're, we're prepared to help you guys out with that as well. So that's myr.io. Mm-hmm. Yep. Myr.io. And it's a crew, C-R-E-W-E. At myr.io. Yep, and it's an or partnerships uh, with or an asset at myr.io. Yeah, well, no, whichever one you prefer. I was going to say, okay. it's, it's all, 
yeah, a lot easier to spell partnerships. Dude, I think. Just, just, <laughs> just spam crew. Just spam. Yeah, 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 just just everybody. Exactly. Hey, one last thing I want to clarify really quick, crew. So just, just <laughs> what you said there. So did I understand, did I hear you correctly to say you have a kind of processor agnostic side where you can actually work with a company that wants to keep the processing you just do Absolutely. the tech? But then Absolutely. it sounded like you also maybe had an agent program for an agent yep. that maybe wants to yep. do the processing yep. through you. Is exactly. That, that, okay. Yeah, exactly. So we work both ways. It depends Got on how it. the agent, how, how people want to work. And, you know, sure. like I said, we're a partner centric organization. So cool. if they want the mids, they want to do the dual pricing. We have direct integration with Deja Vu uh, and we use NMI uh, as the gateway for our online oh, ordering. Cool. So I was going to say, I'm sure that your listeners are very familiar with both those products. And, 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 and NMI is the official sp- sponsor of the product. Oh, are they? Perfect. There we go. So I'm glad it's NMI. <laughs> yeah, that, that worked out well, actually. We don't even have to do a plug now. You That's just right. Exactly. That. There we go. So everybody go with NMI. Um, yeah. So I'm sure your listeners know, know a lot about how the those products work. Um, and so that's who we work with. And so they can keep them in if they want, or they can go through us. If they're cool. going through us as an opportunity for, for some free equipment. But uh, yeah, yeah, however they want to work happy cool. with that. Well, uh, David Crew, both of you, you know, I always love when we do a podcast interview with people that are passionate about their topic. It always comes through. It's very obvious. Both of you, I can tell, are all about helping quick service restaurants master their rush. I uh, love it. And so thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. No, Appreciate it. We thank you, honestly. It's an honor. It's an honor to be on, on podcasts that actually understand what the hell we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we try. <laughs> so it's, it's, nice. it's great talking to people that know what this industry does. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. As we all do in our in our private lives. What do yeah, you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, thanks guys so much. I hope you have yeah, a great thanks. rest of your week. So, Patty, I was having an interesting conversation with an industry professional uh, over the holiday weekend, actually. Uh, and uh, while I was sitting and watching my kids play in the um, their uh, castle swing set and my other kids were in the pool. And, you know, so I was like, hey, I was like, I realized I was sitting there with my iPad. I'm like, you know what? I actually think I could do something right now. I think my kids are all really happy at this moment. So I was thinking about the industry and just thinking about how important B2B uh, oh. is, is now and how important it's going to become, you know. Our industry ultimately is a bunch of trailblazers and hunters rather than farmers. And Mm so, you know, we have an industry of people that are great at pioneering a new space and making something out of nothing. And that's really where we're at with B2B payments right now. Right. Um, We are. So many companies that are just not accepting card payments as much because they don't understand the rationale. And so as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about, well, where's the technology going to come from? And, you know, our sponsor, NMI, I think one of the one of the most underrated things that they do is dealing with B2B companies, wholesalers and others that accept B2B payments. Um, they have a whole suite of solutions that really make this a great experience. Um, yeah. You know, everything from a seamless ACH option, mm-hmm. which let's face it, I mean, if we're going to go after, you know, the 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 card payments with B2B, we're going to have to offer the ACH as well because the B2B companies want that. Right. Um, NMI has a seamless integration with ACH where you can send people an invoice with an ACH or card payment option. Um, they also have B2B optimization. So they, they optimize mm-hmm. the, the interchange automatically. <clears throat> um, and you have to enter a little bit of data up front when you set up the account and do some other setup things. And, and there's also things the merchant can do to get you know level three if they're doing government tra- uh, contracts and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they have a really good uh, framework there. And then just the core fundamentals for the merchant of having this branded portal. You yeah. know, um, yeah, that's so important in the B2B space. Because it, it has to be, you know, they don't want to be, you know, going on Zelle or, you know, something right. generic. They right. need to, And they know, can't. These are 10, 15, $20,000 transactions. Right, right. Right. They need like legitimate payment options. And so you and as secure. a small ISO, to, yeah, exactly. And you as an ISO being able to go and say, here's our solution. Mm-hmm. It's a branded version of NMI. 
all of a sudden it's like you become the B2B expert. You become right. the company that's providing this B2B technology, whether you might be an individual agent and it's like, here's my B2B gateway that I you know, mm -hmm. offer my clients for free or that I have a small fee for. Um, and so I think for many of you, you know, the, the B2B space might seem kind of scary. Let me just sure. tell you something with a solution like NMI, it's actually not at all. In fact, it's a lot easier to set up than most of the point of sale system deals you're doing now. Mm -hmm. You know, all these companies really need, I mean, you got to get them set up with a, a processor that's going to take the B2B, you know, account. Right, right. But assuming they're going to take the account and they're going to run the big transactions. I mean, on the tech side, it's like, here's NMI. Good right. luck. And I mean, there's really not that much to it. Shoot them a couple of videos, get familiar with it, get a demo account, get familiar. But I mean, ultimately on the B2B side, it's a perfect solution of, you know, sending email invoices, tracking those, uh, right. providing payment options, including ACH, optimizing the interchange when it comes to as a card payment, you know, all of that's built in. It's all branded. So if you haven't checked it out already, as Patty mentioned at the beginning, go to nmi.com. Uh, reach out to them. Let them know you heard about uh, them on the Merchant Sales Podcast. We would appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so check them out. I think you're going to like it and, and take some time to think about B2B because uh, I'll be talking a lot more about it in the coming months. I know we will. And I think it's a wide open opportunity. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So Patty, today I want to talk about financial literacy and payments. Oh, that's a great topic. Yeah. So I actually want to do a little shout out here to a uh, guest we've had uh, re recently, which is Elena Smith, who sure. posts a lot of great content on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give her a free shout out today. And if you're not following her, uh, you should. So um, Elena uh, works uh, with her husband, who's her partner in the business, and they run Secure Bank Card. And she made several posts uh, recently just about, you know, how valuable accounting knowledge and kind of financial knowledge can be in the payments industry. And mm -hmm. it really struck a chord with me. And I wanted to record something about it, uh, if for no other reason to promote the content she did, which was fantastic. But also, I just wanted to talk about this idea of financial literacy and, and why it is so, so, so crucial in our industry. Mm. I am frankly appalled at the lack of accounting. And I'm talking about like, oh, advanced. I'm, no, no, I'm saying no, no, the basics, right? The basics of how business and finance works. Mm -hmm. And what happens if we're not careful, and, I, and this also is stemming from a recent consulting conversation, how which I won't give too many details, but give it away. But, you know, we have to be able to separate two problems. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. These are the, these are the two things. I'm trying to get to the nitty gritty here real quick. Okay. Cash flow and return on investment mm -hmm. are two distinct, different problems with different solutions. Right. Let me give you an example. The fact that you can't afford to do a deal doesn't mean that it's a bad deal to do. Right. It means that you need to find money. Find a way to do it. Yeah. Um, let me give you another example. Okay. The fact that you can't afford to go full-time straight commission doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. It means that you have to find capital. Right. And so these two things are distinct, but they get lumped together and lumping these two things together 
will dramatically reduce your opportunity for growth in business. Mm, sure. And so I'm talking about everything from individual agent all the way up to humongous companies that I have talked to where these two questions get lumped together. Really? And I say, mm. here's a way that you could make a lot of extra money. And it's like, well, we don't have the cash flow to justify that. Wait a second. That's not what I just said. I didn't ask, can you afford it? I said, it's a good idea. It is objectively a good idea to do this. So here, let me make it even, even simpler than that, okay? If I said to you, if you give me $50,000 today, I will give you $60,000 a month from now, no risk, okay? Nice, right? Now, objectively, that is a good deal, mm -hmm. right? By anybody's standard, that's a good deal. Now, the fact that you may or may not be able to do that deal is a different question and a different problem. Right. So now what you have to figure out is if you have the 50,000, it's an easy decision, right? Just hand me the 50,000. A month later, I give you the 60,000 back, no risk. Well, mm -hmm. that's, that's great, right? And, and it's a secured investment and, and you know, that's a no-brainer. Now, I say that, but there are a lot of people in this industry that have that decision to make pretty much on a monthly basis where they can go buy a deal that would cost them 10,000 and within 12 months they would get back 30,000 and they choose not to do the deal because they don't have the 10,000 or sometimes they do and mm -hmm. they just have some policy that they just don't buy that many you know terminals or they don't invest in point of sale they charge for it well yeah you get a lot of that right i mean okay like, yeah we've <laughs> like, talked about that all right yeah right. it's a short-sightedness right. right yes mm -hmm. so you have that but then if you don't have the money, so again, back to my simple, simplistic example here, if you don't have the 50,000 to give me, here is the next two questions you have to ask. Can I get the $50,000 from somewhere mm -hmm. and how much is it going to cost me? Mm -hmm. So if that 50,000, maybe you have somebody you could go borrow 50,000 from and you know in a month from now, they're going to want you to pay them back 52,000. Right. That's still a really good deal because now you give me 50,000. Mm -hmm. I give you back 60. Mm -hmm. so you have your original 50 back and you have to pay 10 back to the person who loaned you the 50. You still have 8,000 left over, right? So we have to think about our cost of capital. All right. And so our cost of capital, there's different types of capital that you can, that you can get. And so what I really want to do in this questions in the field is um, I get questions. I, I, it's funny when I thought about it of like, I get so many questions about this. It's unbelievable how often I'm dealing with these issues. It's one of the reasons I just finished doing a really advanced accounting course um, and, and finance course myself. Personally, I went through an online thing and, and I did. And the reason I did is because I've read thousands of business books, but mm -hmm. I'm still getting stumped because a lot of the companies I consult for, frankly, on the financial side, you know, it's, we're in the financial services industry. You think you'd be really good at this, but you really not. They're not, um, right. And so thinking about things like the weighted average cost of capital and all these different considerations um, are, are ending up in my consulting a lot more than, than they used to. And, and even private equity and all these things. So for, but for the agent and the ISO, this is the thing I want to I help you understand, okay? There are different kinds of capital. The odds are you probably could gain access to a lot more capital than you think you could, okay? Mm -hmm. The question is going to be how expensive is this capital, mm -hmm. right? And can you leverage this capital 
to make you more money, significantly more money than your cost of capital. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. what I want to really encourage people to do is, is to do a couple of thought experiments. Okay. <clears throat> so number one, think about if I gave you a hundred thousand dollars in cash right now at this moment, especially for an individual agent, I realize it's nice. So that would be not that much, but if I was to give you a hundred thousand dollars as an individual agent or a real small ISO in cash right now, you never had to pay it back. And I said, you have to use this money. You can only use this money to get directly to get more merchant accounts. Mm-hmm. Okay. What would you do? So pause right here. If you're driving, you know, pause it, take the next 10 minutes or whatever. And think about this question. You have a hundred thousand dollars in cash. You can only use it to acquire more merchant accounts directly. What would you do with it? How many merchant accounts could you get? How much would your residuals grow? Right. And the question is, would it be worth it? Now, obviously, in this case, you'd be getting a free $100,000. But assuming that you got it from somewhere else, how much money would you make off of that? And if you are thinking, oh, my, I have a real clear path to growing my residuals by eight or 10,000 a month if I had 100,000 in capital. Right. Go find $100,000 in capital because that's a really, that's a great return on investment. Right. And if you can get that capital at 15% interest or 10% interest over a period of time, all of a sudden you have what might turn out to be a pretty good deal provided your assumptions are correct about that you could convert into eight or 10,000 and you wouldn't actually go spend it on something uh, that, that would not be giving you a return. Right. Um, so, so you have to think about, you know, the, the thought experiment, what would you do with this capital? And if you have something that you would do with it, that would dramatically increase or grow your business. Now you have the second problem, which is to go find the best source of capital. So I'm going to give you guys just a couple of quick thoughts um, of, of things that you should probably look into in our industry. Number one on my list, and this is a very specific recommendation, but I'm telling you what, you need to be looking into it. Um, There's a company called pipe.com. They have not paid me to advertise or sponsor them in any way, but I think they have one of the most unique business models for providing capital that I've ever seen. And I think it's something that our industry really needs to tap into. So basically, uh, without getting into the long version of it, they basically give you the annual recurring revenue uh, at a discount on your monthly recurring revenue. So let's say I have an account that's generating $1,000 in monthly um, revenue. And so I've got 12,000 in annual recurring revenue. Um, They would give me all up front, they would give me the full amount Uh at a slight discount. And at the end of 12, and they keep the $1,000 for the next 12 months, you know, each one that comes in. Um, And I'm I'm talking about very slight discounts, actually really competitive rates. Uh, At the end of the 12 months, I start getting my $1,000 again. So for 12 months, they basically buy the monthly recurring, they buy it, at an right. annual thing at a slight discount so they make money. That's that's um, that's un, that's unusual. I mean, I've never seen something like that. That's uh it's very unique. It's yeah. very unique. Um yeah. and so they have a really unique model. I like them a lot. Um I've advised several people to go to them and take a look at it. Um and so if if you're looking for capital, that's an option. Um another option uh the, the second one that people just don't think about is I'm telling you you need to be talking to the company that you're processing right. with. Mm-hmm. And you need to be making connections with them, right? And talking to them about how you could use capital mm-hmm. and brainstorming with them. I'm telling you, there are the people in our industry are flush with cash. And I don't mean the agents who are usually broke. Uh, a lot of the agents, unfortunately, I'm talking about the people that are the CEO of the processing company, you know, whatever it is, make real connections with these people and go talk to them get their advice. I mean, just that's very valuable, but tell them, you know, I'd really like to grow my business and, you know, tell them on, on the merchant sales podcast, James challenged me to come up with a, a business plan of what I would do with a hundred thousand in cash. And this is what I would do with it. 
Yeah. Take that to them and say, what do you think about this? Does this seem like a reasonable plan to you? They might say, that looks like a great plan. I'll let you draw 10,000 a month for the next 10 months so you can make it happen Mm -hmm. at 10% interest or we'll take a portion of the residuals to pay it back or whatever it is, work a deal out. So especially if you have a residual, if you've got 10, 20,000 a month of residual, um, go to your processor and say, can I, can I, can you use that as collateral mm-hmm. in order for me to borrow money? I'll pay you back 2000 a month out of my residuals. You know, you're going to get paid because you've got my residuals. Right. So there's no need to, don't have to worry about your credit or anything else. It's like they have the, the collateral, but you know that if you had this, you know, $50,000, you'd be able to do this marketing campaign or you'd be able to hire these telemarketers or, you know, whatever, do this marketing, uh, you know, print marketing and, you know, I don't know, whatever it is you want to do. And they would be able to finance it. So again, my, I don't have a lot of time today, so I'm going to end it here. But I just want to, again, cover again, just broad topics. Number one is you need to have a basic understanding of financial accounting in this industry because it's just going to help you so, so, so much. It's hard for me to put it into quantify it or whatever. It just, it, it trust me, it's going to help you a lot. Go to udemy.com or one of these other platforms for education and just look up a, a you know financial accounting you know for beginners just you need to understand what a profit and loss report is what a cash flow report is what a balance sheet is you need to understand basic financial information how to calculate your return on investment the cost of capital these things should all be making sense to you and you should understand them um, number 2 separate the question of is this a good idea meaning is it objectively a good financial return separate that question from, do I have the money? Because there are different problems with different solutions. You need to have first and foremost, you need to have a really good plan of how you would use capital effectively. But then, and only then, you need to go find the money. And then lastly, how do you find the money? Two sources, I think everybody on this call should just take a look at. One is pipe.com. Let me just really quickly preface one thing. With pipe.com, you're going to have to have some money in the bank like $50,000, $100,000 you know, a bank balance. So pipe is only going to be pipe for more of the, the ISO, a little bit, little bit bigger. Larger, you, have have, right. you have to have some capital. I mean, that's not a lot, but you got to have $50,000, $100,000 in the bank for them to do a deal with you. Um, and they want a pretty good, you know, recurring income stream and some things. So like, they're going to have to have some stuff, you know, it's not like they work with anybody, but they didn't, they tend to go a little bit larger, but that'd be a really good source for some of you that are trying to grow your ISO and you don't want to sell your portfolio and you don't want to borrow at, 20% or something crazy, you know, they have a really good deal there. So I would check pipe.com out. Um, and then also again, go to your processor, your acquirer, you know, again, maybe you're a large processing company and you're like, we need to be giving away free equipment to every restaurant we're trying to sell. And you realize that's going to cost you $400,000 a month to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wow, that just seems like so much money. Really? Go to your acquirer. To them, that's going to be like their, you know, annual budget for like staplers. You know what I mean? Like, that's actually Maybe not a little bit more than that. A little bit more, but you know, you got my <laughs> office supplies. How about that? There okay. you go, office supplies. But I'm just saying that, you know, again, to them, see, the thing you understand is this there's people, there are people that you're connected to or that are connected to people you're connected to. Like in your network, there are people who don't have to solve the cash flow problem like you do. Right. They're, they have a different problem. Their problem is cash that's sitting at low rates of return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to find where they can put their capital to get a higher rate of return. Right. And if you can bring them a plan that makes sense for both parties and they're going to get 12, 13% interest and they know it's rock solid because you've got residual or whatever, you know, and they have this capital sitting there that's not being utilized or, you know, it's at, it's at 5% or something. Um, Right now, the way the economy is, 
There's a lot of companies that would say, you know what? That's a good idea. And we know your company's legit. You've got 60,000 a month residual. You need 400,000, uh, you know, a month for four months to get this going. You know what? I mean, these deals can be done. I'm telling you, I'm consulting people all the time that are doing these deals that are huge deals, seven figures, you know, massive mm-hmm. deals that are mm-hmm. working out and you just, you've got to go get yours. So think a little bit bigger. Okay. Think a little bit bigger. Think about what are your ideas of how you could utilize capital. Then once you have a good idea, go find the capital. There you go. That's my advice for today. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, I wanted to uh, report about a, 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 a development in the chargeback arena. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's, that's one of those arcane subjects, but I mean, it's definitely something people need to be aware of. Um, and uh, Visa is revising its chargeback rules to help mer- uh, merchants better combat what they call so-called uh, friendly fraud. Mm-hmm. Or as I like to call it, not so friendly for us. <laughs> right. right. I, mean, I like to call it stealing. <laughs> yeah, right. Stealing, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, friendly fraud, of course, occurs when a cardholder who legitimately makes a purchase uh, later disputes the transaction as fraudulent, thereby triggering a chargeback. Right. Now, data analyzed by the fraud prevention firm SIFT reveals that nearly one in five consumers, 17% of consumers, admit to having filed chargeback disputes that were not legitimate. Wow. Really? Right? Yeah. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, I am shocked by that. That's incredible. Wow. I am totally shocked by that. I am totally. Um, but, you know, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, the, you know, the more volume going through the card, not present channels. Yeah. Right. Yep. For um, sure. It's so much more common there, um, you know, and uh, in fact, SIFT reports that across its network, um, average number of chargebacks filed by consumers rose 19% from Q1 of 2020 to Q1 of 2021. With, wow. the, with the average value of the chargeback rising 21% to $293 and change. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, that's really, um, and here was another one, um, Count, which is another fraud prevention firm. They surveyed a group of merchants last year, found 58% were seeing higher chargeback rates. And 33% estimated their chargeback rates exceeded 1%. Well, if you're at 1%, you know, that's going to be triggering fines, possibly even a suspension. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Wow. So the revision that Visa just announced um, in that with that revision, um, a merchant um, who believes a disputed transaction is in fact legitimate um, can provide additional information evidencing this. Um, And if if they can do that, the dispute will be um, rejected. Some of this additional information includes um, customer using the same card for previous purchases at the same merchant. Um, logging, logging credentials, right. Or proof of use of the product, you know, like when you get software and you say, Oh, I didn't buy that software. 
really because we see you used it (laughs) right so that's a really you know that i think that those are going to be some interesting tools especially for the card not present environment yeah and especially Um, especially the one about they they previously used it Yes, the previously that would be used card. Yeah, that'd I be interesting. That, even even in a retail environment, I could see that being interesting. I could see that being a really interesting one. So yeah, Visa said the uh, rule change was crafted in consultation with the Merchant Risk Council, which is a, a um, association for e-commerce and payments professionals, and the Merchant Advisory Group, which is a merchant trade group, and they take effect next April. Okay. Wow, very interesting. I I think it'll be interesting too to just kind of see how. I know we had like Charge Century on here recently. Mm-hmm. We've had Charge and back we've to had, 911. Uh, Jonathan and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to this as well because this will be great for them of you know new ways that they can fight chargebacks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, really good stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing that. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.